0: Hi, and welcome to Chelsea Shikongo Talks. Today, i continue to talk to women in entertainment and the arts who are making a difference and getting noticed. I'm Chelsea Shikongo. My guest today is Hildegard Titus. Hildegard is a freelance writer for the Namibian newspaper. She's a video journalist for AFP. She founded an organization called Power Pad Girls, where she won the Point of Light Award from the Commonwealth. Nominated by the British High Commission in Namibia, it recognizes outstanding individual volunteers, people who are making a change in their community, plus she's a stand-up comedian. Hildegard is also a curator of art. She's a feminist activist and recently started a campaign to remove a statue in Bintouk. She's a copywriter of advertisements and has already recently started reading tarot cards and also an upcoming yoga instructor. Welcome Hildegard, how are you? I'm good, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited to have you here because I have so much to just uncover with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been friends for quite a while, and but I never thought we would, we never really had that conversation of like, okay, oh, so like, where are you from? What you do? And it's just so nice and refreshing to be able to see that right on my show. Um, you were born in Ochivarango, but grew up in Cuba, in Washington, D.C. What was that like?
1: Um, it was really interesting because I got to be exposed to a lot of different cultures and lots of different languages. And it kind of just, um, I think it kind of helped me become a person who can get along with everyone because Mm. you're always put in a different situation. And also, I think it kind of encouraged my love for travel because I grew up everywhere. So I always want to be. In new places and see new things and experience new cultures. Can you speak Spanish? I can, but I'm forgetting it a bit because I have no one to practice with.
0: Can you like go like, to the High Commission of Cuba and, and just, like just like start chatting?
1: I actually bumped into the ambassador the other day and I was like, hey, can I just come by? And they're like, yeah, sure, come over for tea. So maybe. <laughs> really? You
0: mm. Okay, mm. and do you think growing up elsewhere influenced your comedy? Like, do you think growing up in Cuba, in Washington, and like everywhere you've gone?
1: Yeah, I definitely, because I think like a lot of like, people are the same everywhere, like, despite our cultural differences. And there are lots mm-hmm. of, like, commonalities that we have. But also, like, there's some, like, things that you wouldn't, like, notice, like, here or there. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of... Every country has its own quirkiness. And I find that, like, really funny, like, how people do certain things. Or, like, in America, how, like, you know, the toilet water is up to here. Or, like, it's very it's very oh. interesting. Like, there little little observations that you can do when you live in different places.
0: Wait, is it, like so when you flush it just like it comes up and then no
1: like so mm. the toilet seat like you know how there's water right so ours is like here theirs is like up there like i'm sure like it's like like you can legit like almost almost. sometimes i was worried
0: because i'm just like i know like what if like somebody so okay yeah
1: um yes exactly
0: (laughs) okay so how
1: did you get into comedy Um, I actually did it as a dare to myself because I wanted to get out of like my comfort zone because I'm actually kind of shy sometimes. Mm. And I wanted to do like spoken word and I wanted to do song nights and I wanted to do comedy. And then the comedy was the first one on my list. And then I auditioned for a show and they're like, oh, you're funny. You should come and try it out. And I was like, oh, okay. And basically, I just decided to, like, share all the awkward things that happened to me and, you know...
0: Like, where was this? Where did this happen? Like, where was your first show?
1: It was at um, The Warehouse with Free Your Mind. And, uh, yeah, I remember my first show, like, I was so nervous. But people were laughing and I was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe
0: I should keep doing this. (laughs) And that's kind of how I got into comedy. I remember my first time as well. I was in Milan. And I just convinced myself that I'm funny. I was just like, I think I'm funny. Like, people always laugh at my jokes, not at me. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so, and then I was in Cape Town. I was in Milan, and I was going to Cape Town yeah. um, that time. And I went to Cape Town Comedy Club. I went to watch all the acts. And I was like, listen, guys, I also want to do this. And they were, like, super supportive. They were like, call this person and tell them, mm-hmm. I recommended you to go there. And I did my first open mic night. And, like, all the comedians in Cape Town showed up and they came to support me it was so cool like yeah. i just never had that experience i didn't think they would be that open because you know as a female or a woman comedian yeah you do your research and with with tiffany haddish she was just like did not have the same experience mm. you know she was just like they were just so rude and they wanted like more from her and they were just like they just see you as a body so i was going in with those expectations mm-hmm, but then when i was on stage it was just like something completely different I and know. the feedback that i was getting and they were like you know, maybe do the joke this way. It was just so amazing. So yeah. did you have that same experience? Yeah,
1: no, definitely. Because, like, I, I think comedy is such a hard thing to do because mm. you never know what's going to make people laugh. And, like, every time, like, you practice and you do your rehearsals, you, you never know, like, how it's actually going to be on stage and stuff like that. So getting feedback from other comics is really nice. And, I mean, as you know, like, there's not that many lady comics in Vintage mm. as well. So I think it's really nice for us to have a community as lady comics, but also
0: to have the support from, you know... The male comics as I well. know so yeah. you would say that this is something that you want to do long term
1: Definitely. As long as I have funny things happening to me, I'm gonna share. I feel them. like there's always <laughs> funny things happening. I know. You can always make
0: something into like some funny scenario. I feel like everything is always funny, especially like growing up in Namibia. Yeah. Wolfish base, specifically for me, I just found everything as an adult so funny what was like so important to us and that's basically how Namibian girl humor was birthed as well. Just like thinking back what mm-hmm. was important to me in high school mm-hmm. and just like okay, maybe this is content, and and it was, so I I totally relate.
1: I think it's also like with the trauma, like
0: like comedy is just a way for us to like deal through our trauma and be like, listen, yeah,
1: like this happened to me, especially like, because a lot of my comedy is like feminist and stuff like that, so like making jokes about being catcalled and that kind Mm. of stuff, it's just a way to like deal with the
0: difficulties of being a woman sometimes. Does it come easy to you to do comedy, Just do stand-up comedy? It,
1: I mean, in the beginning, it didn't. But now, like, literally, I just, like, I can make jokes based on, like, whatever is happening to mm. me. So, yeah, it's come easier because I've gotten more comfortable in making fun of myself. <laughs> yeah. Do you have
0: any struggles? Because for me, what I struggle with is, like, like sort of communicating with the audience while mm. I'm on stage. Because I'm always just thinking about my set Mm-mm-mm. and the timing and what, I wa- what jokes I want to say. Do you have the same struggle? Like, what are your struggles, would you say? I think, like, when the audience starts heckling, then I forget
1: my lines, and then Mm. I go off on a tangent. But if I'm very relaxed and comfortable with my material, I just, like, I'm just, like, if I'm having fun, I just keep going and going and going.
0: What was, like, the worst heckle you've had?
1: Oof. Someone was making fun of my accent, because they're like, we can't understand you. You're speaking funny English. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. This is how I speak. What is funny English? I don't know. But they were, like, you know, making fun of how I speak. And I was just Mm. like, guys, how am I supposed to change that? But... um kept on going, you know?
0: Oh, you just kept on going. But, like, do you get that a lot where people feel like because you grew up in the States Mm-mm. that you sort of have an American accent?
1: Yeah, but I also feel like my accent changes depending around who I am. Like, it's not even a conscious thing. Like, so when I go visit, like, my f- mom in the UK, like, my accent changes or if I'm in the States, it changes. Like, it definitely changes. I guess it's, like, code switching as well. Like, mm. depending on who I'm speaking to, I sp- change how I speak.
0: Okay. Do you speak, can
1: you speak Afrikaans? Like, do you <laughs> have, broken. like, a Namibian
0: it Accent. comes out,
1: it comes out, especially when I'm pissed off. Like, I mean, when I'm upset.
0: Yes. <laughs> um, it,
1: de- it definitely comes out sometimes. Um, but my Afrikaans is, you're broken, like so broken. Like I remember in school, like I used to like, my Afrikaans teachers were not happy with me.
0: So. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then how do you start writing your gags? Like, what is your time plan? How do you plan? my comedy mm-hmm, your strategy my strategy is literally like so some comics make fun of like other people i make fun of myself and mm. i think of all
1: the funny things that have happened to me and like hope people can relate to it i mean my approach is
0: like let's laugh at my trauma together you know? <laughs> yeah. like creating like a support group yeah. with the audience in that time I exactly like that. Yeah. i also noticed that there's not a lot about your like nothing about your private life mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. out there which is good mm-hmm. i guess For women, I don't know why that's a thing. I even feel like really cringy saying it to you because it's like men are allowed to put their private lives out there if they want and then they get praised for it even. So, like, why is that? Why is it a thing for you to be like, work should only be out there? People shouldn't know who I'm seeing or what I'm doing. Um, I mean there's there someone as well <laughs> I mean I'm currently single so that's also
1: probably why okay. there's nothing mm-hmm. there um, it's mostly I mean I could think if I'm in a serious relationship I do post my partner but at the moment I'm living my best life so no one's gonna be on my feet
0: until you know that changes so Oh, okay yeah. but do you like keeping it that way or do you like you say if you're in a relationship you post yeah. about it but do you like it that way or are you more of like a private life happy life
1: um, I don't mind either way. Like, I don't mind posting people. Like, I know some people, like, oh, they won't post their boyfriends because then, like, what if, like, they cheat on them, then they have to mm. delete them. I'm like, it's fine. I'll post you. And then when it's over, I'll delete you. Like, I'm very, like, I'm very Same. chill You just, like, archive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I never yeah. delete videos or photos. I just keep them
0: for my memories when I'm 85. Yeah, because I'm such a hopeless romantic as well. And yeah. I'm just, like, there's some things that I did with somebody that yeah. I'm just, like, but I'm also more of a moment person. Like, exactly. I remember a lot of the things I think in my pri- in my previous life I was an elephant, because like I remember oh, the so much, yeah. and I could be like in the vibe. Yeah. But if you ask me tomorrow what happened, I'll tell you. Yeah, I no, can even direct belief. you to my house while I'm like, <laughs> and like, okay, we're not even going to get into <laughs> that because we're here to talk about women in entertainment. Um, what do you think are the biggest challenges for women in the arts today? Yeah, um, I feel like a lot of us are underpaid mm. and
1: I think we're not taken as seriously as men are. And like I remember every now and then, like I'll read an article, like for example, like how many women artists are in certain museums or how many like, you know, women comics are there, or like with yeah. anything, like or even like women producers, women writers, women DJs, like literally like we exist but we're not given the same platforms as men. And when we are given the same platforms as men, a lot of times we're sexualized or objectified mm. or we're kind of like, you know, molded into this idea so I think it's like as much as we've progressed as a society I think there's still a long way to go in terms of understanding that women are just like I'm not good because I'm a woman I'm just good you know what I'm saying it's mm. always like oh she's a great woman comic versus she's just a good comic you know so I yeah. think it's a lot of like there's still a long way to go for people to understand that women are just good
0: at what they do not because we're women just because we're good mm. at it and I feel like yet yet again we have a long way to go but I mm. think what we can do as well is just sort of work with each other work together collaborate with each other you know come together as one like if if i have an event i'll have you as the host and then i'll have a woman dj um you know create the event Mm -hmm. and you know little things like that just coming together and and supporting each other and supporting women and you know i'm I'm really looking forward to to having that space i mean i have built this platform Mm -hmm. but i'm hoping to sort of also add some value to the person's life and the person's um work ethic you know yeah. so um let's talk a little bit about power Pad girls mm-hmm. you set up that organization a few years ago in 2017 what made you take action to do something um i remember i was reading an article in the newspaper about how um some girls were like using whatever they
1: could find to mm. you know i think i remember that article as yeah, well. yeah like about catching their menses and mm. stuff and it broke my heart because i was just like guys like no one chooses to menstruate like we shouldn't like and, like, it was also explaining how a lot of them would ended up missing school because they were embarrassed or because they didn't have a pad to go yeah. to school with. And it's like, it's not okay that, you know, in 2020, like, 2022 even, yeah. that someone's missing out school because of a bodily function, you know what I mean? So I got, um, I remember at the old JoJo's, like, I used to go there a lot and I asked them if, hey, could we have a quiz night? And then the money that we get from it would use to buy pads. And that's kind of how it started. And different women started approaching me saying like hey how can we help and we kind of that's Mm. how the power pack girls was born like we just decided that this is an issue what can we do about it and it kind of just took off from there yeah what a
0: beautiful woman empowerment story Mm -hmm. like that is so amazing Mm -hmm. tell us about some of your achievements with the organization um i
1: think well for me the biggest achievement is being able to the pads to the people who need them the most Mm -hmm. and going out to the schools and doing like the outreach that way because every school is different like i mean we've been all over the country we've been to like as far south as cuttersburg to like as far up north as like near sumke Um, And I think every school is different and getting to like learn about the culture, about the the, the students as well, because when we're talking to them, we ask them about like, you know, um, the different menstrual practices in their culture, what they call it in their language. And then it's kind of like a reciprocal relationship, because as much Mm. as we're teaching them about menstruation and, you know, sexual health rights, they're also teaching us about the different ways that our different cultures practice it. So for me, that's a really big achievement, just being able to be like, okay, we've worked so hard to raise this money and now we get to give it to the people who need it, but also, you know, kind of talk to them about, you know, menstruation, about reproductive health, about all these things. For me, that's always the biggest achievement. Mm. And then also, um, I think last year, was it the year before, I got the Point of Light Award for, um, for the volunteer work that we've been doing. And that was, it was really like, I don't know, I guess, humbling. Because sometimes when you're so busy doing the work, you don't take a step back to realize Mm. how much of an impact your work does. And I think being recognized for that was really
0: nice as well. Yeah, congratulations to that. It's such a huge achievement for, like, Namibian women. Um, Is period poverty still a big issue in this country? Yes. And it's, um, I feel like it's something that, like,
1: can't be changed unless we change our policy as well because like you know like when you go to a bathroom there's always toilet paper so I think we should also move to the point where we realize that we need to have pads everywhere or like menstrual products everywhere because again like it's a bodily function it's a fact that if you have a uterus you're most likely going to bleed every single month so for us one big thing is we're trying to create like policy to push the government to you know, at least make sure that any school-going child has free access to menstrual products, mm. but also specifically, like, reusable menstrual products because they're more economically friendly, those are more environmentally mm. friendly. And for us, we focused a lot on reusable uh, menstrual pads, but now we're also looking more into using, um, like menstrual cups as well because mm. a lot of so what we do when we go to the schools we talk to them about the different options like we show them this is a pad this mm. is a tampon, this is a moon cup mm-hmm. and a lot of the, the learners have been interested in menstrual cups as well mm. because they I mean they lost five years, six years you take care of them and they're less of a hassle in terms of like having to wash them because you literally just like pour it out and rinse it and start mm-hmm. again so I think definitely making it accessible to everyone and also making it economically and environmentally friendly is kind of what we are focused on as well with because period poverty is not going to end as long as we continue to i mean i know last year they removed period tax which is great on like tampon products and pads but like the fact is people can't even afford them so taking away the tax is not going to make a difference to the average i mean it makes it's okay for the working person or person who has an income but for the people who don't like it doesn't really you know change it so that's kind of what we
0: really want to push for Do you think there will ever come a time where we would be seeing like vending machines, like sanitary products, vending machines in Namibia, or just like even like you said, in the cubicles, there needs to be a sanitary product in there. Do you think Namibia would ever get to a place like that?
1: I definitely hope so. And we're actually about to launch a petition um, to try and push... Mm. Not push to suggest to the government to do that because we've been talking to some of our colleagues in other countries, like in India, for example, where they they do have free vending machines, um, in the school bathrooms, and it's been a very successful um, endeavor and for them. So I think there's no reason why we shouldn't have the same thing. Like I know. Um, a lot of other countries are making menstrual yeah, products for well yeah
0: uh, I've also seen in the states as well yeah at and universities think, as well yeah
1: exactly I think even in Botswana so it's like again like why can't we do mm. the same thing I mean I know a lot of like I think there is a policy like where in the education um, that they do give a percentage of their budget to giving pads to like each school mm. but again it's disposable pads and like yeah. you know like everyone's gonna bleed once a month and there's only so many pads you can give away so moving toward more sustainable menstrual products would be more long term. Do you, uh,
0: does like the the shops we have here do you think they do they sell reusable um, sanitary products?
1: Sometimes they do. I know that there are places where you can get a menstrual cup. And you can sometimes get the reusable pads at Clicks. Um, there are different shops around the country that do sell them. But mm-hmm. for us specifically, we order ours in bulk. Um, they're also local people who make um, reusable pads. Like there's and pads as well. Okay. And then we get ours called palessa pads from South Africa as well. Mm-hmm. So it's also an opportunity for, you know, Namibian industry to also start making reusable pads or even menstrual cups. Because again, like this is an issue that's always going to face, you know, people with uteruses. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of room for growth in that department.
0: I think. Okay, but like what if it comes to a point of like the government saying they don't have enough money? Like what how do you think they could come together? Because obviously yet again budget is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. So how do you think the encouragement or suggesting to the to the government, you know, making this sort of possible for anyone who has a uterus, how how can they come like how can we all meet It's the um, same place. Yeah.
1: I mean I think definitely the involvement of like other NGOs and also the private sector. Mm. And I think if the government recognizes that like you know, making the small investment, like for example, a disposable pad, like a packet is like maybe 50 bucks, right? And then you use it for one period. Whereas a menstrual, um, a reusable menstrual pad or moon cup lasts you three to five years, depending on how you take care of it. Mm. And that costs like maybe 200 bucks for a packet of three or four, or a menstrual cup will cost you around 350. And for like, for five years, you don't have to buy a pad again, or you don't have to Mm. buy a moon cup again. So it is a bit of investment in the beginning, but it lasts so much longer. So I mean, five years is how long someone is from, like, grade 7 until grade 12. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it makes sense that, like, this would cover this person until they finish school. Mm -hmm. And then by then, hopefully, they'd have a job where they'd be able to buy it for themselves. So I think, because the fact is, if someone's missing school because they can't, um, afford a pad, they're missing out on lectures, and not able to concentrate, like, yeah. you know, and also the thing about, like, people having really bad menstrual pads, like, I think we should also change our policy, in including for, like, working people, that, mm. like, you should be able to have the day off if you have really bad cramps, because I think, because, I don't know, like, people assume that women that it's not that bad but like there are people who have debilitating periods where they literally mm. can't even stand up and then you're forced to go to work and I think again we need to understand that like half of the population goes through this so we need to create policy that makes it like normalize that you mm. know we should Accessible. think about it exactly exactly
0: periods are still stigmatized in many of our communities do you have to educate the parents as well as the government Um, So we have
1: not actually focused a lot on the parents. We've mostly focused Mm. on the learners and the teachers. So when we go out to do the workshops, the teachers are also in the classroom. And some of the teachers um, are very, like, educated on it and are comfortable with it. But some teachers aren't comfortable talking about it. Mm. And um, ultimately, like, we can't force parents to, you know to think what we think or Mm. to be comfortable to talk to these discussions. But the fact that so many children spend so much time at school, this is a space where they can get a lot of information. And if they're comfortable talking to adults there, then they can make more informed choices about their reproductive health, about um, consent and about sex. Like a lot of people like to think that their children aren't having sex or like that teenagers aren't having sex, but... Um, the fact is they are, that's why we have such high teenage pregnancy, you know, like statistics in Namibia. And our approach is that we want to give them as much information as possible so that when they do decide to have sex, they're able to make the best decisions for themselves. Mm-hmm. Because right now, like when we go to do these workshops, like sometimes the questions that the children ask you are like, they're very like, you can't believe someone's asking you that. It's because someone else told them that it's because they're not having these conversations with their parents they're not having conversations with their teachers. Mm-hmm. So they're having all this misinformation. And then this is why you know, they're not being able to make the right decisions for themselves because they don't know the truth. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of our approach. It's like, if we talk about it, like, we're not encouraging them to have a celiacs, but if they do, they'll know what to do. They'll know how to protect themselves. They know that you can't get get pregnant on your Mm -hmm. period, or you can't catch an SDI if you don't wear a condom, like this kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you think
0: um, teachers are doing enough in that that sense? Like, do you think that they're... Telling them enough, teaching them enough about period pre-repover- uh, poverty, reproductive health, mm-hmm. sex education.
1: It depends. Like, some schools are very good with it and others not so much. But I also realize a lot of the schools are, a lot of teachers are overwhelmed. Like, we've gone to schools where the teachers can't even speak to their pupils because they don't speak the same language. You know oh, what I mean? So yeah. it's like, how are you going to teach someone like even mathematics if you don't understand the same language. And I think that again just shows how much the government really needs to focus on education. And it's not enough to build a school if you don't have teachers who can speak the same language as students or who understand the cultural backgrounds of different students. And this is kind of like it's it's um period poverty and menstrual things is like it's just the tip of the iceberg on how much we need to reform the education system where people can actually, you know, teach. Mm-hmm. And also like also understanding that like just because I'm a teacher and culturally I don't believe in this doesn't mean I should keep this information from you know learners because again the more knowledge someone has the better educated they can be and making decisions for themselves but if you keep information to yourself they'll never be able to you know make their own decisions
0: yeah that's it for this episode of chelsea congo talks we will be back with part two where we will talk more to hildegard titus about women in entertainment and the challenges facing women in the industry